Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, hey again, um, I'm Mike Moses, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church Huntersville. It's great to see you enjoying live online worship with you as we will for the indefinite future uh, here at 1028 a.m. Sunday morning. It's good to see you. Hey, I always bring a couple things from my office here uh, in my little little desk. And, um, and so I brought two things. Uh, this is a vial of dirt from this property, from our groundbreaking ceremony we had on this land, our campus on Gilead Road, over a decade ago. And what a sense of legacy. Me and my friends uh, who were there that day, we have such a sense of legacy today, seeing so many God stories taking place uh, in and around this sacred space that we call our, our, our church home here on Gilead Road. And, and then also, though, I have this picture here that a friend of mine took and gave me when we held a 24-hour prayer event to bless this land. Um, because this Lake Forest Church land was 20 acres of the last 100 acres of what was once the largest cotton plantation in Mecklenburg County. And we had a 24-hour prayer event when we moved into this building to ask God to turn this land from being a place associated with cursing for a number of generations because the original sin of America, slavery, was perpetrated on this soil for a century. And, and we asked God to turn this acreage from a place of cursing to a place of blessing. And this picture reminds me of that beautiful prayer event. And you and I are answering that prayer as we follow Jesus together and love others in his name together. Now, today in our sermon series, we're going to talk about somebody super interesting. And he came up a year ago, June of 2019. I got in an Uber with Pastor Jeff Cook here at Lake Forest, with Pastor Victor Leal, who is the lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, El Buen Samaritano. We got in an Uber in downtown Denver, Colorado, to, as part of a denominational gathering. And we, the Uber driver, you know, you talk, and it turns out he's a professional comedian. I didn't think he was that funny, so he's probably still an Uber driver. But then he said, well, so what do you guys do for a living? And when we told him we were pastors, without a single moment of hesitation, he said, who is Melchizedek? It was the most odd from out of the blue question. And it's taken me a year to answer it. And that's what today's sermon is. Who is Melchizedek? And to prove to you I did not make that up, here is the Facebook post Jeff Cook posted from the back of that Uber. There's me in the front right seat riding shotgun, and Jeff posted it saying, when your Uber driver stand-up comedians asks you, who is Melchizedek? <laughs> well, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14 in your own Bible. That's where we're going to be. And we're going to learn this, that because Melchizedek worshipped God with his life, he was given an important role in God's great big story. And today, you and I are here to say, hey, Lord, me too. I want my life to count. I don't want my life to just be my own little story. I want it to be a God story that points myself and others to the great story that God is telling. Right? With, it's a story with God the Father as creator, with God the Son as the hero, and God the Holy Spirit with his hand over top of your hand writing every page of your life today together. 
And what's really good news about this story is that because God became the man Jesus and, and he sacrificed himself on an atoning death on the cross for the sake of our sins and he resurrected in victory over death and suffering and he's promised to return and make all things new. And so we know that the story God is telling has a good ending. And this is our summer sermon series, God's Stories. Each week we're going to learn about a person in the Bible in God's story, and then we're going to ask, how can this help me live more of a God story kind of a life? And so today, in the words of Uber driver, comedian guy, who is Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek interacts with the patriarch Abraham, the founder of the Jewish faith and ultimately the Christian faith, when Abraham is just getting settled in what would one day become Israel. And so let's read Genesis chapter 14, starting with verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot, who had been kidnapped, and his possessions, together with the women and the others. After Abram returned from defeating all those kings, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies, Abram, into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, friends, this is the only thing we know about Melchizedek's life, his God story encounter with Abraham when Ab Abraham was still called Abram, his early life name. And the great, though the greater part of his life is shrouded in obscurity, but this priest king of Salem, which would later become Jerusalem, he was destined to appear on the stage of history because he crossed paths with Abraham, the father of God's chosen people, and Abraham, the founder of the line of the future Messiah of the world, Jesus. Okay, Pastor Mike, but still, who is Melchizedek? <laughs> well, we have to go back to the age when the first pyramids of Egypt were being constructed. We're going back 4,000 years from today. A time when most human societies worshipped multiple gods and worshipped created things instead of the creator, except for Abraham, the father of monotheism, and except for this unique priest king of Salem, Melchizedek. Now, the first evidence of settlement, human settlement in Jerusalem dates roughly to the year 3500 B.C., and yet it wasn't until 1819 or 1800 B.C. that Jerusalem got its first city wall. Interestingly, this is the general time frame for the biblical king of Salem, Melchizedek, and for Abraham. Now, here's a picture that only recently in the 1990s, Israeli archaeologists discovered the, two, the foundation of the two towers of the first Jerusalem wall. This is the oldest uh, mark of habitation left to us from archaeology. It dates to the Middle Bronze Age. It's at the bottom of what's called the City of David. And this dates to the time of Abram and Melchizedek. It may have been Melchizedek, priest king of Salem, who had this wall built, or he may have been just after the time 
of that. And so, our, our God story today starts with Abraham returning from defeating a series of kings north in, in the north part of Mesopotamia to rescue his nephew Lot who had been kidnapped along with all of his people and his goods. And Abraham returns in victory and the king of Sodom comes out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, which actually is just outside the gate. Those tower walls in the oldest part of the city of Jerusalem, the valley of Shaveh is just right outside of that gate. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine and was a priest of God most high. It's interesting. This is the first time the word priest is used anywhere in the Bible. This is really early. This is just Genesis chapter 14. And it's used in a positive way that Melchizedek serves the God who has been revealing himself and his plan to Abraham. But the question is, where did this guy come from? And how does he know the one true God? Well, this past week or so, I've read all that I could get my hands on, on the question, how did Melchizedek, have a monotheistic devotion to God when he was in the midst of a Canaanite polytheistic culture. That all the archaeological remains are of polytheism rampant for centuries before and after this. And I reached out to a leading, uh, a world-leading Old Testament scholar who's a friend of Lake Forest Church, Dr. Tim Laniak of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And, and, and so what I've been able to put together is from archaeology, like, so again, who is Melchizedek? Mr. Uber driver comedian, y'all are a bunch of amateur comedians yourselves, who is Melchizedek? Well, from archaeology, we know that Melchizedek and Salem were an Amorite city-state. And if you know the Bible very well and you've read the Old Testament, the Amorites show up quite often and in the archaeological record. And they were very polytheistic, pagan, and they tended to worship the lowest forms of idols uh, in some very... Uh, um, uh, troubling ways, some, some, including human sacrifice at this very time in history. But how did Salem, the forerunner of Jerusalem, and its priest king come to know and worship the one God most high in this moment? And so we wonder, there are some suppositions. May, was it by direct revelation from God himself to Melchizedek? Because that had happened to Abraham a few years before in his parents' city of Ur in Mesopotamia. God directly revealed himself. Or, or was it a memory of the faithful, one true God handed down after, from the time of Noah through certain families or people groups down to this moment in 19 or 1800 B.C.? This is what some call a post-flood faithful theory of Melchizedek. Or perhaps it's this evidence that God smiles in a friendly way on people in societies who haven't been told about the one true God or Jesus, but they have followed the evidence that the Bible says is there for everyone to see, and they've come to the conclusion there is one true God who, who is owed our, our allegiance and our honor and our worship. And, and, and maybe, perhaps, God gifts that hint of faith in someone like that with a measure of relationship with him. I can't say conclusively from this passage how Melchizedek became a monotheist and worshiped the one true God. But it reminds me, to hold my faith strongly to what is clearly revealed in God's word that we can know about ourselves, about reality, and about God. 
and to be open to mystery and wonder when it comes to things God hasn't chosen to reveal to us for God's own wise purposes. So, Abraham has rescued Lot. He goes to Salem where he meets with the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, apparently to settle out a treaty in the aftermath of these battles about who, who owns what. Now, every story, this is the point in the story, every story has a character and a role to play. So let's ask this question. Melchizedek now strides onto uh, God's story as a character in it. And what characteristics, what's the character revealed about this character, Melchizedek? Well, the descriptors are that he's a person of righteousness and a person of peace. His name is Melchizedek. And the two parts of that word, uh, it means king of righteousness, Zadok, righteousness. He is the king of righteousness. But he's also the king of peace. He's called the king of Salem. Where does the word Salem come from? Well, it's the same part of the word that's in the word Jerusalem. It comes from the Semitic language family with the word for shalom, which you'll be familiar with, which means peace. So he's the king of righteousness, the king of peace. And he must have in some ways actually inhabited these character traits for these two great nearby leaders to come to him to uh, ratify a treaty. Full stop on Melchizedek for a moment. Let's think about you, you and your story. You're a character in your story, a character in God's story. And I have a question for you. What character traits of God, what character traits connected to the character of God has God been calling you to grow in and exhibit during our current crises? Seriously, because if you ask the Holy Spirit this question, he will let you know. He, he might be letting you know right now. Sit, ask the question, hey, I'm a character in your story, God. What character traits of this character that's me, myself and I, do you want me to grow in during these crises we're in? For example, I've noticed my wife Angie intentionally grow in the character trait of kindness while we've been stuck at home constantly, like just the two of us all the time during this pandemic. And I've noticed her choosing to go out of her way to do small, inordinate kindnesses that surprise me. Look at one example last week. Hey, Mike, I know the dishes are your responsibility, and you do a pretty good job with that. You know? uh, but hey, since you had so many Zoom meetings today, I just went ahead and did them for you so you could just chill and eat nachos. I was like, thank you. I, I feel cared for. I feel seen. Wow. That's an example of growing in a character trait, choosing to right now. During the crisis of the pandemic and the crisis of facing anew the inequities in our country that, that have rootedness in race, we're learning. As you live your life in God's story, what character trait is God calling you to grow in? If you're struggling mentally or emotionally, as many people are right now, it's no surprise. It's almost a rational response to all the uncertainty right now. Maybe the character trait for you to grow in is humility and reliance on others. And you just need to reach out for help. Please don't suffer alone. Reach out. Perhaps it's also the character trait of humility for you, as, uh, for me as a, as a white Christian man. And I've newly determined to learn from the experiences and, and the facts facing people of color in society today. Uh, we did it last night with our movie choice, our Saturday night movie choice. We rented the movie uh, Juneteenth Queen which is a normal story of a mother who really cares about and wants the best for her teenage daughter, 
but it's through the lens of an African-American family. It was a really beautiful movie. I learned a lot from it. Or perhaps it's Melchizedek's character of peace that God's calling you to put on during this time, to be a person who visibly, verbally rejects name-calling and shaming as unrighteous ways of talking about politics and race right now. And you choose to stand for righteousness and peace, the characteristics of Melchizedek. What? Back to Melchizedek. Melchizedek, he was a character in this part of God's story, but every character plays a role. Like there's the love interest role, or there's the, there's the bad guy role. Um, what was Melchizedek's role in this part of God's story? Well, it's super clear. A priest and a king. Now, how cool is this? Let's zero in on this little detail of the story. He apparently was a king of some influence because going all the way back to that time, Salem, to become Jerusalem, had special characteristics militarily and water-wise, and it was always an important center. And he had some influence, probably because of his own character of a priest and a king together. This was unusual. Such that Abraham, a great man at this point, and the king of Sodom came to Melchizedek outside his gates to celebrate their victory in battle, divide the spoils, and agree on their relationship moving forward. You have roles to play in your life that cause you to interact with people, whether it's your work, whether it's your roles in your, in your home or your family. And, and how did Melchizedek use the role of king in this moment? Well, notice. Here's what Melchizedek does. They come to him, and here's what he does. He takes leadership. He places this whole incident in a theological framework and blesses the patriarch Abraham in the name of God Most High. Watch this. Melchizedek takes a mundane moment that, that Abraham and the king of Sodom were just like, hey, we're just doing a thing here. We're doing a deal. This is a secular moment. And Melchizedek raises it from a mundane moment to a God moment and a God story. Right? Because he's living a prepared life of righteousness and he has eyes to see God's story in the midst of normal life. He turns this mundane moment into a God moment. And Abraham and Sodom uh, and the king of Sodom just were expecting, we're just going to make a treaty. But Melchizedek takes it higher and he speaks purpose. He speaks the presence and the blessing of God into Abram. And Abram is, stops and worships and he's reminded, oh my, maybe God really is at work in my life like he's been telling me. And this apparently touched Abraham's heart deeply. He's the bearer of God's election. He's the bearer of God's identity and name that he's going to birth out to the world. And we find Abraham recognizing Melchizedek that he's serving the same God that once called Abraham out of his native city of Ur. And in his joy of discovering a fellow believer, he acknowledges Melchizedek's true priesthood by giving him one-tenth of all that was recovered from the battle in worship and honor of the one true God. And he publicly announces this this faith fellowship here by, uh, by joining together the divine name that Melchizedek used with a word of his own. And the last verse of Genesis 14, he calls him, he speaks back to Melchizedek that we serve the Lord God most high. So Melchizedek used the roles God allotted to him in his story, priest and king, 
to, and his character of a righteous man to point these two leaders to worship and honor God first. And when he did that, it motivated Abraham into a worship moment. Like he, his eyes were open and he saw the Lord. And he got closer to the Lord and he honored it by honoring God with a tithe, the same way we're called to do today. So back to you. What are your roles in God's story through which you are primarily called to speak God into someone else's story this summer? What are they? You have different roles. You're a son or a daughter. You're a business owner maybe or an employee. You're a friend. Everyone has the role of friend. It's an important role in life. You may be a mother or a father, a husband, a wife, a child, a mentor, a leader, a servant. You have a lot of roles that God has appointed you to live out as a character in God's story. And you know what, friend? You can live like Melchizedek and turn normal moments into God moments by speaking purpose and the blessing of God and the presence of God into someone's life in an ordinary moment. You have this remarkable power in you because of the Holy Spirit in you and the spiritual nature of Christ if you've put yourself in his hands by faith. And every person that you lock eyes with is hungering and thirsting to hear and experience and feel the blessing of God spoken into them. We're hungry for it every day. And you can turn a normal moment into a God moment in all your roles. So take a second, scroll through in your mind all these roles that you play in God's story in your life right now. Which, in which of those roles to which person that you connect with is God calling you to point someone more clearly and consistently to the worship and service of God Most High as we know Him through Jesus Christ. Talk to the Holy Spirit. I bet the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now. I want you to dial in to that and answer the question. What are your roles and your story? To whom are you called to speak God into someone else's mundane story this week? Back to Melchizedek. We only get to see this one moment of Melchizedek's life. Like, that's it. But it was his faithfulness and character that prepared him to live out his role in God's story at the very moment Abraham needed a blessing. When a normal moment becomes a God story, it motivates you or me to give your very best to God. And so when Abraham came to Salem, to Jerusalem this first time, when he was motivated to see God because of Melchizedek's faithful speaking God into him, he gave his very, very best to God, to a king who was God's priest. This may have laid the groundwork for when Abraham came the second time to Salem. Did this first event do something in Abraham's heart so that the second time he visited Salem, at that time, he would offer God an even greater sacrifice, his own son Isaac, in the area just a quarter mile north of this little valley outside the gates of Salem called Moriah, what today we know as the Temple Mount, where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his oldest son, and yet God provided a sacrifice just like he has for you and me through Jesus. So in light of everything God has done for us, how can we not do as Abraham did? And when we see God in the story, we surrender to him again the very best of our lives, our, our money, our family, our very life, so that we can be a God's story in other people's lives, telling them they too can find a role in God's story. 
And I wonder, back to you. Because this God story is about you. Can you think of a recent God moment where because you were spiritually prepared, you were living a prepared life of discipleship, of being in God's Word, of seeking the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and to have eyes to see what God's doing in and around your normal everyday life. Can you think of a time recently when you were spiritually prepared and you recognized and you stepped right into helping create a God story for someone else in a small way or a large way? Maybe it was when you recently reached out to someone. You, you just Their name came across your mind and you reached out to them and it turns out they were literally almost dying for somebody to notice and remember them and call them by name in the pandemic. Maybe that's how you stepped into a God story because you were living a prepared life. Okay, one more super important geeky fact about who is Melchizedek. Back to Melchizedek one more time. In answer to my Uber, comedian, Uber driver comedian's question a year ago. Check this out. Melchizedek's life reflected God's glory to the world in that day, in the story we just read. But he reflected God's glory even more clearly as the centuries went by as part of God's progressive revelation to humankind. What do I mean? Well, see, the things that God has revealed to humanity about himself and all of reality through his people and God's word we're not all given at once. His revelation has been given to us in stages. This is known as progressive revelation, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek, while he's mentioned here in Genesis 14, he pops up another time in Scripture a thousand years later, and then one last time in the New Testament a thousand years after that. Let me show you. First, he pops up again in Psalm 110, verse 4, written around the year 1000 B.C., the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The, the, the writer here in the time of King David is writing an inspired bit of prophecy that the Jews a thousand years later in Jesus' time took to be a prophecy about one aspect of the Messiah that God had promised would come and save Israel and the world. And, and what does this verse mean by, you will be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek? Well, by, by this time in the nation of Israel, priests inherited their roles from their parents, like a family business. It wasn't like the, the most on fire for God, Yahweh person became a priest. It was like the family gig. And that led to mixed results, as you might imagine. But, so the Jewish people understood stood Psalm 100 verse 4 to mean that the Messiah, the coming Savior, would not be dependent on an inherited role or a mere human priest to be the forever priest for God's people, making them right with God. But the Messiah would be a specially appointed priest by God himself like Melchizedek was. And he would be a king from the line of King David, not from the line of priests. And sure enough, a thousand years after Psalm 110 verse 4 was written, Jesus' eternal priesthood was inaugurated on our behalf, and he came from the line of King David, not from the priestly line. Now, this theme is expanded in the New Testament book of Hebrews, where the writer emphasizes Jesus' superiority over the priesthood in Jerusalem, and he uses Melchizedek as a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus to help us better understand Jesus' eternal priesthood on our behalf. And I'm going to let the writer of Hebrews to the earliest Christians speak to us Christians today. Listen. Hebrews 5, verse 9. 
Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And finally, Hebrews 7, starting with verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And so, friends, we saw in Melchizedek's story that he was an imperfect and temporary human priest. But the writer of Hebrews gives significant ways in which Melchizedek's early first priesthood typified Christ's coming priesthood, which is permanent, perfect, and eternal, reconnecting us with the God who loves you by atoning for our sins once and for all through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Have you said yes to Jesus? You may not have thought about it this in, ter- in these terms, but as your high priest who makes you right with God so that your life can be a part of God's story and a blessing to others and you feel God's face, his kindness shining on you all day, every day because of this high priest who has interceded between you and the most high God through Jesus Christ, the eternal priest according to the order of Melchizedek. What a great joy to learn this unique part of God's word with you this morning. Melchizedek and Abraham and the king of Sodom for that matter would have been unaware of all of God's sovereign eternal purposes he had for them to use their actions that day down to us 4,000 years later here as a bunch of Gentiles learning the Bible together in the middle of North Kakalaki, North Carolina. God is sovereignly at work in your life, through your work, through your life. Will you become more conscious of that? Live a prepared life of righteousness like Melchizedek. Have eyes to see where a potential God story is every day by speaking blessing and purpose to someone in the name of the Most High God through Jesus Christ.